0: This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 14.
1: Making decisions that really align to your values versus making decisions out of should. There are a lot of decisions that we make based on should. Oh, I should take that promotion. I should want that job. I should be in this role. Even if it doesn't align to them, they feel this desire and this pull to do the right thing by others. How do you anchor on your strengths and your vision for your life? What does success look like for you? Your unique definition of success, and then how do you take the steps to get there?
0: How can you define success on your terms? Why is it so important to invest and bet on yourself? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott. And this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. Today, my guest is Doctor Sohi June. Sohi is a top leadership coach, keynote speaker, leadership development expert, and Amazon best-selling author of "Mommy Track: How to Take Authentic Risks and Find Success in Your Terms." Sohi has been recognized as one of the top executive coaches by Coach Foundation, and specializes in helping high-achieving female leaders define and find success on their terms. In our coaching and consulting practice, Sohi worked with Fortune 500 companies helping high-performing leaders, emerging leaders, and executive teams identify and achieve their goals. Before starting her own company over five years ago, Sohi was the Executive Director of Organization Development and Change Management at Warner Brothers Entertainment. Sohi is an inspirational leader who has bet on herself and coaches her clients to master what she calls the inner game. During our conversation today, Sohi and I will discuss why she left her corporate leadership role and started her own business. Why launch, learn, iterate should be your personal innovation philosophy, how to master your inner game and define success on your terms, how to manage up and why it matters for your career, and much more. So he welcome to the Future of HR. How are you doing?
1: JP, I am fantastic. I have been counting the days to be on your podcast list. <laughs>
0: That is great to hear. It has been a long time and it's fun for us to reconnect and have the podcast today and have the conversation that we're going to have. I know it's going to be really valuable for a lot of folks. My first question for you is you've had a very successful corporate career in talent and OD, yeah. but then you decided to throw it all away and start your own consulting company. <laughs> but tell us more about what led that decision, seriously, to really start your own company, go out on your own and build your own company.
1: Yeah, I love when I get that question because it's never just a thing. I think people, when they talk about it, make it seem like it's this one thing that made me make the jump. But for me, it was a series of really my lived experience and understanding what I wanted throughout my career. And that takes experience, right? Like going on a path and knowing that, okay, that may not be it. Really, it wasn't until I had kids that things started to shift for me. So I have three kids, JP, you know that. And it wasn't until then that I really looked at, okay, how do I make my life work as a woman that wants to achieve all the things, having my PhD, and also wanting to be a part of my kids' lives? So that was really the starting point, thinking about doing my career a little bit differently, not really knowing how, like, what what do I do differently? And back in those days, I think right now we have a little bit more more option for women, more options out there. But back in the 90s and 2000s, it was more like you have to sit there and work day in and day out in the traditional path. And I knew that wasn't for me. Along with that, it was wanting more freedom and also wanting to do the work rather than having to deal with politics. As you know, and as probably most people listening to the podcast know there's a lot of internal politics that we have to navigate. Not that I couldn't do it. Definitely could. And, you know, I rose in my career. I got the corner office and I decided to leave that to really bet on myself and make a different career in one that entailed a lot more freedom and actually doing the work that I wanted to do.
0: No, I love that you bet on yourself and you really you had the courage, confidence to go out on your own and really build a life on your terms. And it is so hard, I think, for people to do that. And it's hard to balance all of that. Tell the listeners a little bit more about your your business today and what you do and what you specialize in.
1: I am a top leadership coach and a leadership development expert. I'm also a best-selling author of Mommy Tract, And I'm a keynote speaker as well. And I've been doing this work for over 20 plus years, both within corporations and in the past five years with my own firm. So I am in service through leadership coaching, More, most importantly, highly achieving women and emerging leaders. What
0: advice would you have for other next-gen HR leaders who are thinking about starting their own company, maybe following your path?
1: Yeah, I think as I look back on what gave me the chutzpah to, to make the leap, I think it's one, you have to do some of the homework, right? You have to read the landscape and really understand the value that you bring as the individual. So what are your talents? What are your strengths? And it really starts, and this is the stuff I talk about in my coaching with my coaching clients is knowing yourself and your strengths and playing off of that. So that's one part of it. And then secondarily, it's yes, do the homework and know your strengths and and the business landscape, but also do it. A lot of people I get, I see get stuck in this like loop of, I don't know. It's too scary. Is now the right time. I don't know. It's too scary. Is now the right time. It's never the right time. But what I know for sure and what I share with my clients is that change happens whether or not you think you're ready for it. So double down, make the leap. And the biggest thing I want to tell people is this philosophy that I've embraced, which is launch, learn, iterate, launch it, learn from it and iterate. It's this whole premise on innovation, that I've just adopted in my lifestyle. You launch it, know that it's going to evolve and know that you're going to build on that. It's not a one and done. It's not a you launch with the final product. You're going to put version one out there and then there will be versions 10 as you go along the journey. So I think that it's really important to embrace that journey. For anyone that wants to make this leap, know that it's a learning curve.
0: Launch, learn, iterate It really could be, I think it's a philosophy for people's careers. If you think about launching, learning, and iterating on who you are, your brand, what you're good at. But I also, I really agree with you, Sohi, that starting is the hardest part. It's just doing it and putting yourself out there is the scariest part. And it's hard to get out there and do it. And so you're right, just taking that action is so important. Now let's talk a little more about Mommy Tract because I think it's a, it's an amazing title, but also I want to hear more about kind of what led to that book. So you wrote Mommy Tract, how to take authentic risks and find success on your terms. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about what inspired you to write that book and some of the key messages.
1: Oh gosh, this book poured out of me. So it was published in 2020 and. Again, I coach from lived experience, so this is why I hone in on high-achieving women, emerging leaders. I was that in corporate America. I had a large team. I had the corner office. So understanding those challenges and what I also saw as a theme and through my lived experience is making decisions that really align to your values versus making decisions out of shoulds. And what I know in particular for women is that there are a lot, if we Take a step back to examine our, you know, our mindset. There are a lot of decisions that we make based on shoulds. Oh, I should take that promotion. I should want that job. I should be in this role. Even if it doesn't align to them, they feel this desire and this pull to do the right thing by others. And really, this book is about how do you anchor on your strengths and your vision for your life, whether that's internal in companies or outside or some combination thereof, It's not always about leaving a corporate role, but it's about what does success look like for you, your unique definition of success, and then how do you take the steps to get there? And I'm a firm believer of micro actions. I'm never about boiling the ocean because that is overwhelming. And when you're thinking about taking a risk of any kind, whether it's to your earlier question, how do you do that? You know, start your own business or with careers or taking risks. It's about taking the next best. Step. It's that micro action and building on it. So, this book is really about helping women, whether you're a mom or not, about defining success on your terms, getting rid of the shoulds as much as possible, and living a life that's integrated to your values.
0: Why is it so important, I think, for women to define success in their terms? Like maybe we should talk about that for men as well, but I think it's maybe even, maybe it resonates more with women. I don't know. Tell me why that's so important to you around finding success in your terms.
1: Yeah, and that's an interesting question, JP. Maybe it is broader than I think, but I know certainly for women, it's the way that we're brought up in this dominant Western culture, right? And there's a lot of things and stories that we're told about how to show up, what presence looks like, what success looks like. And some of that is just innate to living in this world and this country that we're in. And also, things that are really challenging for women that I know happens to women, which is like the perfectionistic tendencies. There's what I call these six saboteurs, right? It's being a perfectionist, it's being a people- pleaser, it's being an overfunctioner, an overachiever, the nice girl, the overhelper. So all of these things layer in to throw us off track about what we really want and what we think we should do for everyone else. So it gets us disintegrated from our authentic choices and more anchored on, I should do that because my family wants me to do that. Does that make sense?
0: Of course. And I don't actually don't think that men have the same challenge, (laughs) but just throwing it out there as I thought about success in your terms, because we don't ask that for men because men already think about success in their terms. The obligations for women is frankly, it's tenfold. Even though we'd love to pretend that's it's not, the obligation societal, it's just there. And I think that makes a lot of sense around what are those obligations and, and the intensity of that. And it's probably harder for women to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make this different choice or this is what I want to do. And that's really kind of part of the message of the book, it sounds like.
1: Yes, it is. And then once they start listening to what that is, it's like, okay, what do I need to do to get closer to that vision? And it's a lot of unpacking.
0: On the six saboteurs, are there ones you find more prevalent to pop up again? Ones we should talk more about maybe and understand deeper.
1: Yes, yes. And I talk about this all the time with my my high chewing coaching clients that are women. There's three in particular that come up time and again, which is perfectionism. I'll, I mean, people can't see it, but I'm raising my hand. <laughs> definitely have grappled with that in my career perfectionism people pleaser and whether we think we are you know removed from that there's still little remnants of that for women that are high achieving that that we do there's something kind of innate to our gender that we want to please part of like this tribal thing that we have biologically i think and then to really undo that and then it's this over functioning because guess what women can do a lot right we can take on a lot and so we do without really stopping to say okay what is this in service of and how am I also giving back to myself and my goals rather than just reacting and over-functioning because I can do that.
0: And if you're over-functioning, are you not helping other people, but you're not actually thinking about yourself or maybe what you need because you're trying to people-please and make things perfect? So yeah. Kind of, is, compa- is there a compounding factor that kind of happens then as well? Yes. <laughs>
1: Definitely. And, you know, I think this is what leads, and most recently, we see it everywhere in the news about epidemic levels of burnout. And it's hitting women that I know it's like feels too much. And it feels like they are really reaching burnout quickly. And I've done that in my career, too. Yeah.
0: And you know, actually was going to ask you about that, because recently, McKinsey had released their eighth annual report on women in the workplace, And what the research revealed is what they call the great breakup. Women are demanding more from work. They're leaving their companies in unprecedented numbers. And I guess in your opinion, Sohi, what's happening and what can companies do
1: about it? Such a great and timely question. So I'm seeing that in my clients to answer my research, just, you know, unscientifically, but in in the things that are being shared with me, that women want options. Before the pandemic, there was a certain way of working. And through the pandemic, one of the best things that, you know, as a coach that I see is there were options. We can operate and do work virtually. We can do it from home. We can do it anywhere. And that was proven. And then to have companies go back. Now, of course, the caveat to AP, and we know this, is that some companies are saying you can work remotely. And that's the accepted norm. Other companies in which these women are leaving and saying, I'm breaking up with you, are the companies that are wanting to go back to what was. And if we have people here that are in HR roles listening to this podcast and really seeing this with another company, it's really looking at, okay, what are the options that we can give not only women, but employees to, to help them feel engaged? And that is all about options to the extent that options can be given. I think that goes such a long way to keeping the high-achieving, high-potential women in the workforce and engaged and wanting to stay there. So that's my take on that.
0: When you think about the options, I guess for me, when I think about it, it's about flexibility. Mm -hmm. And what we found through COVID was that we could work in flexible ways and get things done. And probably what I guess my take and... Sample size of one would be that people don't want to commute. And when you think about women working, they may have more obligations or not. It depends on the family. But it's an hour. I don't have to get ready in the morning. I've got the time to get the kids ready. Or if I'm making dinner, I could still join a conference call. I don't have to rush back or commute for two hours from the office. And to take the flexibility away, I think it hurts not only women, but even men.
1: Yeah, Yes. And going back to your earlier question about some of the reasons why I started my own company is because of the lack of that, that flexibility that I so deeply desired when I had really young kids at that age of, hey, I'm going to, I actually want to go to the mommy and me. Can I do that? And here's what the research shows, JP, is that when women are given options and the agency, right, when we talk about flexibility, then that's tied to feeling of agency over their career. They do more. They can achieve more in a focused amount of time. And we've proven it over and over through research is that when we are given that flexibility, we will perform because then we feel like, okay, now that I can be present at home or be with the kids or go to the school function that I also want to be at too. So it's all very tied together.
0: Yeah, so do you think the great breakup is going to continue? What do you think? Uh, what's your prediction there, Sohi, in the next... 12 to 18 months, where do you see things going?
1: I love this. I love to read tea leaves. And I would say, yes, (laughs) it's going to continue for a little bit. Now, also know that given the larger context of the pandemic in which people were really just questioning their lives or work lives, am I doing what I want to do? It brought about some big existential questions. So I think that's a part of it, too. And women feeling like, okay, I want more agency. It's all in the same realm of why the great breakup is happening and I do think it will continue you know probably into the better part of next year where we're saying like look we want that flexibility.
0: Have you seen companies that are staying flexible and really being really progressive and how they're supporting women in the workplace and other employees?
1: Yeah so I think that's the bright side I absolutely am seeing that and for those companies that are taking that quote-unquote risk to allow all those the options and the flexibility, I think they're finding that they're probably not having that great breakup with the women from in their company. And it could be anywhere from the full on the range of flexibility, the whole work from home all the time will be 100% virtual to let's do it, you know, be in the office twice a week to meet with your team because of course there are some benefits and the collaboration aspect and the ideation aspect of being together in groups live, you can't beat that. So there's that part of it that comes with that option. So being in the office maybe two or three times a week, but also being able to choose when is key. Not not saying and dictating, oh, on Friday, everyone has to be in. So it's really thinking about the company culture, what works for that culture and what's doable. And through, through trial and error, I would say, do some experiments and see what works for people.
0: So he, you specialize in working with high potential female leaders. Talk to us more about some of the common career challenges that you're seeing that are coming up in these coaching conversations.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because sometimes a presenting problem isn't really what we uncover in session. But some of the things that are really common is around this challenge of managing. Now, this isn't just specific to women, but what I find is that when people and women in particular are stuck at a certain level and they want to move up, we've really lost the art of what I call managing up. And it's being able to look up and over and how are you, one, communicating with the boss above you and bosses above you. Are you caring for their needs? Are you setting the tone for the strategy? Are you sharing your strategy? Are you doing all the things that put them at ease that you got this, right? So women are really good at nurturing the team and even developing them and thinking about their careers. So that isn't necessarily the issue that I see. They're good with their teams. It's like, let's look up. And are you building relationships with people around you? And how are you managing the needs around them? So that's one big thing. And then the other thing that continuously comes up, JP, is around presence. And there was an article out recently by Harvard Business Review around executive presence. And is it really to cover for looking and coming off a certain way, like the norm, which is a show up like Jim over there with his presence. I am really looking at how do you show up authentically and own your strengths and power and really helping women lean into that.
0: Yeah. Let's go back to talk about managing up a little bit. And what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in terms of like, why aren't the female leaders you're working with? Why aren't they doing that? Well, is there something holding them back that no one taught them how to do it. I think a lot of people actually struggle at it. But what are you seeing when you talk with your coaches?
1: I think it's a combination of one, they're so busy managing down that it's like, oh yeah. Many of them are like, oh yeah, I forgot. Heard... Yes, I do have to actually care for my manager and those above them. Right. It's one letting them know that's a a part of the puzzle of being seen. And having people advocate for them as they want to go and move up in their career. Like if you don't have those relationships, and JP, you've probably found this too in your career, you need people to advocate for you. And it's the peers and the people above you that can really do that and advocate for your career. up. So one, it's like, oh, I didn't know that I had to do that. And then secondarily, it's creating space for them to do that.
0: You know, some people, when they hear managing up, they might think it's political it sounds like politics, right? I've got to manage up and manage a perception. Do you hear that from your people you're coaching That is kind of politics and I don't want to play politics or?
1: Yeah, I have heard that. Not often, but I would be lying if I didn't say that the clients have shared that with me. And the way that I like to reframe that is it's less about politics and more about building relationships. And at the end of the day, relationships is what helps not only your career, but you to get things done, right? I mean, we do work, but it's through people. So if we reframe that view from, oh gosh, it's this political game I have to play to one of, hey, it's managing relationships and building better relationships. And at the end of the day, that serves everyone, It serves the bottom line for companies. It serves the customers that you ultimately serve. It's a win-win when we think about, okay, let me look at building stronger relationships and that includes looking upward.
0: Let's talk a little more about what can organizations do to support female leaders that they're not doing today?
1: I think the first thing is, are they giving them ways in which to connect, right? So if an organization hasn't started that and many of them have, which is, fantastic, is giving the opportunity for women to connect in different ways. So whether that's through med, formal mentoring programs or the different affinity groups that may or may not exist in companies, let's start there with caring for the basics. You know, I love Maslow's hierarchy Give me It's like, let's look at the, the foundational needs and curate ways that people can, women can connect together. And so start there. And I would say allow for these opportunities where they can hear from other women high up in the organization about their careers and what are the challenges that they've overcome so that we don't feel alone in this. That's a big part of it as well, is amplifying the story so that we can connect and help each other through these challenges.
0: Yeah, and it's so important to have support system, the role models and feeling like, The organization is supporting female leaders and you've got senior female leaders in the company. So I really agree. What about finding a mentor or a sponsor or someone who's going to advocate be an advocate for you? What do you recommend there, Sohi?
1: I am the biggest (laughs) proponent of not only having an advocate, but what I call a tribe of advocates for your career, somebody that you can go to for advice, somebody that you can go to to vent, somebody that you can go to, to help you, you know, think about things differently. It doesn't all have to be within one person. But I definitely say to women and people in their careers to find that tribe, cultivate the relationship and know who you can go to for certain things. So JP, I might say, how do I navigate the world of HR? I might go to you for that. And I might go to another colleague for a different perspective on how do I keep fresh in my career so that is so important not only to have a broader perspective but to help keep you on the rising and developing
0: yeah it's I think it's really good advice and I would even build on that to say do that earlier in your career start now if you're Five, 10 years into your career, it's the right time to make those connections across the company. Sit down and say, hey, can I get lunch with you, buy you coffee? Want to talk about what do you do and maybe one or two things you can help me with? And you may have some advice. People are so generous. They will totally do that. And you'll get so much out of it.
1: Yeah. I love what you said there about people are very generous. They are, if you genuinely say.
0: So I understand you're working on a new book. I am. I'll let you say the working title, but tell us a little more about the book and what inspired you to start to write this second book, which must be a big undertaking. So it must be really uh, ready to be poured out of you, as you said to, about Mommy tract.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I recently wrote a post that it is such a journey to write any book. The first one, you know, I think, I, I should, yes, it poured out of me, but this one is a different spin. It's very research based. And The working title is called If I Knew That. And really, the premise of it is unearthing the wisdom of these really high-achieving women that they don't necessarily share outside of their inner circle. And as I'm coaching my clients, they share with me these tidbits and these things that they've learned throughout their career. How do they navigate certain challenges? How do they deal with politics? How, what was their mindset around that? What would they tell themselves 10 years ago about how to navigate building relationships with managers or people that they want to build new relationships with? All of these, what I call hard-won wisdom, that they would only share in their small circle. And for me, I'm all about amplifying wisdom so that we can all help elevate each other And so I wanted to write this book through this research on all of the things that they have shared with me around these questions that I asked and to make that accessible for any woman that is looking for guidance and wisdom about how do I navigate work and life?
0: That's a great idea. And I'm curious, any insights you can share with us so far? Any early previews of what you're learning talking to these high performing female leaders?
1: The thing that I'll share, the overarching theme is around minds, and most of my coaching is around what I call the inner game, the mindset work that is really important to navigate work or life challenges. So there's a lot of wisdom around that and the perspective that they have and would kind of redo if they were to tell their younger self something. So mindset.
0: Uh, thanks, thanks for sharing a little bit more about the book. We're excited for it to come out. Huh. Talk more about the inner game because I, I think the inner game is a really interesting concept. The
1: inner game came to me. It was one of those moments, JP, where I was like, oh my gosh, you know the, that moment, if you ever have, you know, quiet. <laughs> I had a quiet moment and it just came to me that the things that we were talking about in coaching and the challenges that people were sharing with me and coming to coaching for, the root of Many of these challenges was really around the mindset that they had or didn't have or, you know, were murky about in how they frame certain things or the way that they look at challenges or scenarios or difficulties. And when it comes to leadership, it really is about how do you, one, know what's coming up for you, what your biases are, and then, you know, act from a place of intention and purpose rather than reacting. This mindset thing for me was so clear in that every challenge really gets to, okay, let's start with you and how you're framing up things in your mind. And then let's make different actions from that if we need to. Wow,
0: so really around that intention and not reacting or being intentional in your reactions to how things are going on around you is really what the inner game is all about.
1: Yes, and I have a letter. Yes. (laughs)
0: well so last question for you what is the one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of hr over the next five to ten years
1: i would say one read tea leaves and that is the essence of getting ahead of the trends and setting the strategy in my lived experience with being in hr and like working closely with hr it's this desire to get ahead of it and really set the strategy versus being reactive to what the clients want and need and i think hr can be really great in that space of once you know you're reading the tea leaves and know the business landscape set the tone set the strategy and get ahead of it with your clients
0: well, so he thank you so much for raising our inner game and being on the future of hr today
1: you're welcome thanks for having me <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Sohi for sharing her insights on mastering the inner game and defining and finding career success on your terms. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you're enjoying Future of HR, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. We'll be back next week with Dr. Steve Hunt who's Chief Expert, Work and Technology at SAP, North American Innovation Office, and part of the Executive Advisor Team. Steve has just published a terrific new book called Talent Tectonics, and in our conversation, Steve and I will discuss how demographic shifts and technologies impacting the future of work, why employee experience is much more than engagement or retention, why we don't need to sit together to work together, and why you need to assess your employee experience and how to do it. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.